It's a great day to live for Jesus. This is the In the Word podcast with Pastor Mike Grover, a chapter-by-chapter devotional journey through the New Testament where we will browse the background, discover the doctrine, and practice the principles of God's Word for us today. We're in the Word in uh, Mark chapter number 8. And Mark chapter 8 is like so much of Mark's gospel. It's just packed full of things that Jesus is doing. You know, sometimes you'll read a chapter in the gospel and the whole chapter maybe is about one event that is taking place. I find kind of a common number. It seems like three different events come up. But here there's six different things that Mark is cramming into this chapter to tell us about that when you go over, especially to Matthew or other gospels, they stretch it out a little bit. They give you a little more information, a little more background. But man, Mark is just hitting the high points. He's just jumping from hill to hill and really trying to show us uh, the actions of Jesus as the servant. So in this chapter, we have two miracles of Jesus. We have Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And also in this, in, in this chapter, in Mark's gospel, it's the first time where Jesus mentions his death and his resurrection. And so we're going to read the story this morning, beginning in verse number one, about Jesus feeding the 4,000. And so in verse one, it says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for many of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? We're out here in the desert. Where is a person going to find enough to take care of these people? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and broke and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets of food left over. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away and immediately entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. You ever have so many things going on in your life, hitting you from so many directions, um, that maybe you lose sight of who Jesus is in the midst of it? Maybe we don't want to admit that, or, or maybe it's not something we're consciously trying to do. But the reality is there's only so many nubs on our Lego, right? And when those nubs get full, there's no place for anything else. And so if we're not in the habit of prioritizing Jesus first, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, man, it becomes very easy to where everything else in life takes one of the nubs on our Lego and Jesus kind of gets left out of it. I think that's why when uh, God was talking to Israel, he always told them to bring God the first fruits. I think that's why God, when he kind of set up the tradition of when we gather together as believers, he said, upon the first day of the week. And I think the principle is this, when you give God the first, then he blesses the rest. So here we are in the midst of this busy chapter, so much going on in the life of Christ with his disciples, 
And they're out in this desert place with these people, and they're kind of north of the area of Israel here, more in a Gentile, non-Jewish area. And there's all these people around them, and Jesus does this miracle of feeding these 4,000. Now, this miracle is very similar to what took place back in chapter 6, where he fed the 5,000. And those who maybe are scripture deniers or don't see the supernatural in it, they say, well, this is just a repeat of that other miracle, but it's, it's really not. It's a whole different thing. And by the way, it's not just a repeat of that miracle. Uh, the miracle of God's provision for people in need with food, you see throughout Scripture. Man, you go back to Exodus chapter 16, and you see the Lord providing the, the manna in the wilderness. That was a miracle. You go over to Second um, Kings chapter 4 with Elisha, and the man shows up with uh, 20 loaves of bread, and they multiply it to feed the crowd that is there. So right what we're reading here in Mark chapter 8, this isn't just a duplicate of a miracle or similar miracle as we see in Mark chapter 6. Man, this is something God has been doing throughout Scripture, showing his self strong and his provision, uh, doing the miraculous to bring people into a closer relationship with him. Um, now, this is a great miracle, but really it's more than a miracle. Now, we understand the miracles in the gospel were signs that were confirming the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And on an overreaching, higher level, we have to understand we're seeing confirmation after confirmation pointing that Jesus is truly the Messiah. He's the Christ. But don't stop there. I'm not saying that's unimportant, but, but go to a little bit of a deeper dive. And don't just let the things you read about Jesus Christ be theoretical or big picture and bring them down to where you are because in this miracle we're seeing something about the Lord in it. We're seeing how the Lord is showing us man his desire to care for his people. There's a lot of care that is expressed in this and in verses 1 through 3 you really see the Lord's compassion and in the gospels or in the Bible as a whole the New Testament you see others referring to Jesus' emotion and Jesus' compassion, but you don't often see Jesus describing his own emotion. But here he does. He says in verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude. So here's this crowd of probably Gentiles more than anything. They're gathered around Jesus. He is the Lord. They are listening to him teach. And he says, I have compassion he says, they have been with me for three days and have eaten nothing. Can you imagine that? You go to church and you're there for three days without dinner on the grounds. Now, some of them maybe brought some food with them. I imagine that would have been a custom if you were on a journey in that time. There wasn't any 7-Elevens around. But overall, Jesus realized after three days, they pretty much had expended everything they had with them. And he said, if I send them away to their own houses, they're going to pass out before they get there. And he said this, he said, because they have come from far away. They've come from afar. There's so much there. First of all, I love that they weren't just numbers sitting there in front of Jesus. They were people he had compassion about. They were people he had concern for. And by the way, he knew where they came from. He was aware of the circumstances of their life that brought them there. I think about this. He was aware of all the sacrifice they had made to get there. 
So man, maybe the, the sacrifice for Jesus, maybe the sacrifice of consistency in showing up for worship or the sacrifice of consistency in serving the Lord or charitable giving or any of those things, maybe that sacrifice grows weary on you at times. And maybe in your mind, you come to this point of saying, does Jesus care? Well, I want you to see in this story that he does. And this miracle is more than just a miracle. It's Jesus showing his compassion and his concern for this crowd and their action. That's his response. And and after his response, you see in verse 4, you see his provision because the compassion of Jesus always leads to his provision. You go down and it says um, he doesn't want to send them away. And look at the disciples' response in verse 4. And his disciples answered him and basically said, how can a man find enough food for these people out here in the desert? How did they respond to Jesus' command or suggestion or whatever it was at that point? With doubt, with uncertainty. Now, we can get angry at them and say, hey, idiots, didn't you just see back in chapter 6, he just did this? You all were with him. Didn't you notice it? But don't we all do that? We get things in our life going on and we forget the past blessings, the past mercies, the past miracles of God. And I love what it says, though the Bible's so precise. It says, where can a man, a man find enough for these people? Well, you just, well, that's true. A man couldn't, but the man could. Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was the man, Christ Jesus. And so it seems to me that his disciples forgot what he had already done because they lost sight of what Jesus could do. And instead, they were focusing on kind of the natural response to what was taking place um, around them. And they were looking at Jesus through the eyes or in the eyes of just being a man. How can a man find enough for this? Now, they get it right later in the chapter because later on in this chapter in verse 29, um, Jesus says to them, Whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And he's repeating what, he said, what was recorded in Matthew chapter 16. So through the circumstances of this chapter, whatever's going on, they, they tightened up. But don't we do that? Don't we go on a seesaw in our lives between Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, and we're raising our hands in praise on Sunday morning, but by Friday morning, we're sitting here doubting that he can do or come through for us, or that he even cares, or where is he gonna, where's the provision going to come from? But man, his provision was there. You see, we all do this, we all lose sight, but what I love, once again, a reminder of Jesus' steadfast love for us, in their doubt, he doesn't cast them away. And I know people question, once saved, always saved. And I want to tell you, I am if I'm convinced of anything in the Bible, it's that when you're saved, you're saved forever, and you don't lose it. Now, I think this is one of those great examples how the disciples are responding to Jesus with unbelief and with doubt, but he doesn't cast them away. Man, he brings them along and he, he makes them part of the miracle. And really in this miracle, there's a double provision. There's his provision for the multitude, right? The bread, the fish, the physical provision. But there's the provision for his disciples, the ones that are following him. It's that they can see once again that he can move the mountains and he can do it again, right? 
I think about every time we have an outreach event at church as a staff, what is our goal? Well, it's to reach people, but do you know there's always a second goal? It's to involve the church. The goal is never just to do something to get a bunch of people to come. It's to lead our church to be engaged in mission and in serving Christ. It's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He didn't need the disciples to help him, but the provision wasn't just for the crowd. The provision was for the disciples as well, because Jesus is always trying to bring in and engage, even when we're doubtful. I love what A.W. Tozer said about this. He said, unbelief says some other time, but not now, some other place, but not here, some other people, but not us. Faith says anything he did anywhere else, he will do here. Anything he did any other time, he is willing to do now. Anything he ever did for other people, he is willing to do for us with our feet on the ground and our head cool, but with our hearts ablaze with the love of God. We walk out in this fullness of the Spirit if we will yield and obey. Man, what God has done, he will do. Man, we as a church, we have just witnessed the miraculous provision of God um, over the last two years of providing um, through, through generous faithfulness a million and a half dollars of debt retirement funds so that just two weeks ago we were able to pay off our mortgage and become completely debt-free. We're not a large church. We're a church of about 500 people on typical Sundays. And, uh, you know, but God has provided through COVID, through downturn, through uncertainty, through all of these things. Man, what he has done, he will do. And what God has done for us, we can trust that he will do again. So in the midst of the busyness and so many things going on, don't lose sight that the care of God is always followed by the provision of God, and ultimately what he wants to come out of that is the joy of the Lord, the satisfaction. You look in verse 8, it says, So they ate and they were filled, and they took up the broken bread that was left, seven baskets. What happened? They were filled. They were satisfied. Man, they found the one who could satisfy them. They ate and they were satisfied. And you know, here, here's something that we have to understand. It's not God's desire for us that we are just limping along until we get to heaven. God wants us, as one man said, to be joyfully satisfied as we are following him toward heaven. Man, I'm bound for the promised land, as Christian said in Pilgrim's Progress. Man, that's where we are going. Joyfully filled, joyfully satisfied. John 15, 11, Jesus said this, These things I've spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be filled. Jesus says, I give you my word, so that you'll always be attached to my joy, so that in turn, your joy will be full. So just a great, great example here of God's love and concern and his provision and his desire for us to be joyfully satisfied in following and in serving him. So here's the word for today. Don't lose sight of who Jesus is. That's where the joy comes from in life. Jesus is our joy today. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. 
Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey through the New Testament.